You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Genesis 31, if you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles. And just raise your hand. You do need a Bible, by the way. You'll like the study so much more with a Bible in your hand. And for everyone streaming online, get your Bibles open. We're so glad you're tuning in with us. Uh, our online audience is uh, uh, growing and thriving and uh, know that we love you. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, get your Bible open at home and get a pin out at home and uh, snuggle up on the couch with your blanket, your golden retriever at your feet and uh, get your Bibles open. You're all like, dang, I should have stayed home. <laughs> that sounds good. Here's where we're at. We are going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. And the beauty of that is we study passages that you probably wouldn't study on a Sunday. And they are powerful. Today is one of those. The title of today's message is Jacob's Conflict. Jacob's Conflict. And we're watching this conflict brewing in his life. Uh, Jacob has been called by God. The Abrahamic covenant is upon his life. God has chosen him for himself. And yet Jacob is not walking with the Lord. He believes in God, but he hasn't submitted his life to the authority of God. Many people in that situation. And the good news is, is that God takes people like that, like me, like where I was, and maybe where you are this morning. And he says, no, 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 I've got a calling on your life. And we kind of hear and we kind of go, yeah, well, Jacob's that way. He's not there yet. And yet God is blessing him. Uh, he has uh, blessed him abundantly. Uh, Jacob has this calling on his life. He's been working for his uncle Laban for his wife, Rachel. He vowed to work seven years for her. He worked seven years for Rachel. And then Laban, this shyster, uh, he switches the gals at the night of the wedding, he marries Rachel in, in pretense, but in the night of the wedding, uh, when the lights go off, he switches and he puts Rachel, excuse me, he puts Rachel's sister, Leah, in the wedding clothes and puts her in the tent. And uh, Jacob finds out in the morning, I've slept with the wrong gal. And his father tricks him. And he says, hey, don't you know, we have a custom in our, uh, you can have Rachel, but you've got to work another seven years. So he works another seven years for her. Uh, now he's worked 14 years there in Haran with Laban. And uh, um, after 14 years, uh, Rachel gets pregnant, has a baby named Joseph. And God puts it on Laban, excuse me, on Jacob's heart. Jacob, get back into the promised land. Get back into the promised land. He now has 12 kids, 11 boys, one girl named Dinah. They will be the 12 tribes of Israel, the boys will. Uh, uh, Joseph was a special uh, son in his heart, and God spoke to his heart. And he tells Laban, Laban, I'm going to go back to my homeland. And Laban says, oh, that's too bad, because I was going to pay you just anything you wanted. Name your wage. And that allurement of wealth causes Jacob to stay and work for another six years. And uh, it's uh, unfortunately a very dysfunctional time. It's a very dysfunctional period. 20 years of Jacob's life and uh, uh, not a lot of growth. And, and uh, again, titled the message, Jacob's Conflict. He's going to have a big conflict with Laban. Uh, we're going to look at it for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and today, in this message of Jacob's Conflict, we're going to look at the dangers of being passive-aggressive. Uh, we're going to see some passive-aggressive relationships at work. And we're going to look at some of the proper uh, tools for dealing with a passive-aggressive relationship. So with that, let's open our Bibles. Let's get into the Word. Genesis 31. Uh, are you there? Yep. Let's pray and bring our hearts before the Lord. Uh, Jesus, we come before you first and foremost to say thank you for your abounding grace to us. 
that even when we are like Jacob and uh, not walking in your ways, you are still working in our lives. And Lord, may we hear, may we understand, may we realize your incredible love for us. And Lord, we desire to not be like Jacob, but to be men, women who actually hear and obey your voice. So Lord, would you allow your spirit to move among your church this morning? And would you speak to us personally and individually? Helps to see ourselves. Help us to see you. We know that these things were written for our learning, that we might be transformed by the wisdom of your word. May it be so now, for we pray it in your name, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, Genesis 31. Let's back up one verse to Genesis 40, verse 43. Uh, Thus the man, that's Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous. When the Bible uses superlatives, which is rare, it's really trying to tell us something. Jacob is filthy rich. God has made him just incredibly wealthy. And uh, this man, Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous, and he had large flocks. He had female and male servants. He had camels and donkeys. And you say camels and donkeys, big deal. Well, having camels was like having a U-Haul business. It was like having a moving company. Uh, This is telling us that Jacob has several businesses that he's running now. God has blessed him with abundant wealth. Uh, Chapter 31. And Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. Laban was his father-in-law. And Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. In other words, they were what? Jealous. Jealous. He's got all this wealth. And again, you and I have a hard time really grasping, well, how wealthy was was he? Well, we're going to learn in coming weeks uh, Jacob is, when he leaves uh, Haran, he's going to go back to the promised land. And back in the promised land, guess who's waiting for him there? Do you remember? Esau. Esau. And what does Esau want to do to Jacob? <laughs> Kill him, right? Because he deceived his brother. And he's going to send gifts ahead to kind of appease Esau, hopefully. And when he sends these gifts, he sends 550 livestock as a gift. Uh, of all different kinds and send servants with them all just as a gift. How wealthy do you have to be to send that kind of gift? He's going to send these gifts. There's so many. He's going to send them in droves. So they're going to be one drove and then another wave and then another wave. And uh, we'll look at that in weeks to come. But I'm trying to give you a picture of the scope of Jacob's wealth. God has blessed him so much in these last six years that it's just, it's inconceivable, right? And as a result, well, look what's happening. Uh, There are some jealousy, man. Who's jealous? Well, all of Laban and uh, 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 Laban's family, all all the boys, they're all jealous and know this. Jealousy causes friction. Don't believe me? Just ask any high school girl. Jealousy causes friction, right? Uh, Verse 2. Laban saw, excuse me, Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of friction, a lot of tension. Then the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Interesting, these are the same words that God had spoke to Jacob's heart Six years ago. These are the same words. Jacob. I've got you. My hand is upon you. I am blessing you. I'll take care of you. Come back into the center of my will. This is what I have for you. And Jacob would not hear. The allurement of wealth. The desire to build his business kept him from walking and listening to the small, still voice of God and receiving all that God had for him. Uh, God has made Jacob very rich, and that wealth has caused all kinds of tension 
in his relationship with Laban and the entire family. And here's what is interesting. God spoke to him in a small, still voice. God spoke to him six years ago gently. God said, Jacob, get back into the promised land. And God still would have blessed Jacob. I mean, it was God's, God's will that uh, he was wealthy. This is God's doing. And we're going to see all that clearly. But Jacob would not listen. And now because Jacob would not listen, uh, things are so tense in this environment that he's in. I mean, in the morning when Jacob goes out to start the car, he pops the hood and looks for a bomb before he starts the car. That's how tense things are in this relationship. And here's what I want us to see. Here's what I want us to get a hold of. God tried speaking to Jacob with a small, still voice, and Jacob wouldn't hear. And so God allows pain to increase. When sin mutes hearing, God may often speak in pain. Uh, it is far better to hear the small, still voice of God. But if necessary, God will ramp it up. And uh, that's what is happening here. Things have become very uncomfortable. It was C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, just one of, you know, one of all of our favorite authors. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. Uh, he says, pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Really good, really good to ponder. Pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. God is always speaking. Problem? We're not listening. Why? Because we're just all so busy about our own pursuits, about our own affairs. I wonder how many have put off the call of God for the elusive pursuit of wealth. Or have put off God because... I want to be famous, or I want to be an actor, or I want to be an athlete, or I want to be this, or I want to sleep around, or I want to party, or I want to do what. And we blow off the small, still voice of God, not realizing that that is the abundant life. And here, Jacob's life gets really mess messy. I want you to consider the pain that Jacob is in. The tension between Laban and his sons is unbearable. He is worried for his life. And look how messy things are for him as he tries to leave Haran, which we're going to see today that he does. As he tries to leave Haran, do you know what happens? He's got what kind of pressure waiting for him as he goes back home? Well, that's a messy life, man, with Esau wanting to kill him when he, when he comes home. Uh, he's got people, uh, you know, just dangers on all sides. On top of all that, his walk with God is not right either. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks, uh, not only is God wrestling, excuse me, is Jacob wrestling and having tension with everybody, Jacob's going to have a big wrestling match with God too. God's going to say, look, uh, we've got to talk, right? That's chapter 32. And I have found that in life, many of us are like Jacob. We ignore God's voice for years. We believe deep down, but we keep saying, oh, later, later I'll get serious about my walk with God. Well, I know this may not be the best, but, you know, that's fine for right now. Later, later I'll get it right. And, uh, man, um, ignoring God's voice is dangerous. And then here's what I've seen that God does. Uh, there'll be an event. There'll be a moment. There'll be the death of a loved one. Uh, there'll be a doctor's visit. And you find out, oh, it's cancer. There'll be a moment. There'll be something. God tried to speak with a small, still voice. We gave him the stiff arm, and then God will say, okay, well, then I'll speak in pain, and God will speak, and then we will listen. Oh, what a shame. We finally listen when the pain comes. Why is that? And all those wasted years. How much more fruitful Jacob's life could have been if he was only listening to the voice of God. How much needless pain could he have avoided if he had only listened to the voice of God? And here's the question for us all. How teachable are we? How teachable are we? Can God lead us with a gentle voice? Can God speak to us by his small, still voice that speaks to our spirit? When God speaks to your conscience, do you just ignore your conscience? Can God lead you through his word? When you read the word, does it actually guide your life? 
When you come to church and God uses a messenger to speak, do you actually take it to heart? Are you actually teachable? Can we actually receive what God is speaking to us? How do you hear? How steerable am I? How steerable are you? God spoke to Jacob in kindness, but Jacob chose wealth and his own pursuits over God's word, over God's voice. And Jacob's life is not submitted to God. Jacob is a stubborn mule. Uh, he is difficult to lead. And do you know why the Bible reveals him to us like this? Why? Because many of us are stubborn mules, <laughs> difficult to lead. And the Bible says God has written all these things for our learning. God is showing us Jacob to show us ourselves. ourselves. And may we be wise this morning. May we hear the voice of God. May we listen to what God is showing. Uh, Jacob has been difficult, man. And as a result, uh, he loves being in control. He loves pursuing his own agenda. He's loved pursuing wealth. But as a result, his personal growth and his spiritual growth are small, really small. Think about this. Jacob's years in Haran began and ended on notes of strife and contention. Jacob has not grown in his walk with God. Jacob has not grown personally. 20 years ago, he left home with a trail of broken relationships in his wake. And 20 years later, little has changed. Jacob will leave Haran with a wealth of broken relationships in his wake. What has changed? How much has he grown? Nothing. Isn't it amazing how fast a decade in your life goes by? Think about where you were 10 years ago. Think about how fast it went. Wow, like that, a decade. Your next decade will go even faster. The Bible says, what is your life? It's a vapor. You're here for a moment. Uh, learning how to walk with your creator is the whole reason that we are here. And Jacob has very little spiritual growth, very little personal growth in his life. And he leaves Haran with just a trail of broken relationships, just like he left it, uh, Israel. As we move in these next verses, we're going to see the poor character in Jacob's family. We're going to see the poor character in Jacob's wife. And here's what we learn from this. We cannot give the people we love character that we do not have. I can't pour into my kids character that what? I don't have. I might tell them, oh, do this, do this. But what they're going to do is what they're going to learn is how I live, how I move. how. And here we're going to see that just uh, that trickle down effect in, in, in Jacob's life. Tensions with Laban are on red alert, man. I mean, he's fearing for his life. As I mentioned, he's checking his car before he starts it in the morning. Uh, verse 4, let's look at what happens. Jacob calls a family meeting and uh, uh, makes a plan to get the heck out of Dodge. Look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. Why does he call them out to the field? Yeah, because he's worried Alexa might be listening. <laughs> right? So he calls his wives. He says, hey, come on out to the field, man. He's like, let's get private here. And he calls a family meeting in the field, verse 5. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable towards me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. What is he saying right there? God has been with me. How is he measuring that? By his wealth. Not by his growth. Not by his spiritual development. Not by the fruit in his life. Of, of, and I want you to know something. Wealth is not, though, not the best indicator of your walk with God. God is blessing Jacob financially, abundantly, because God has plans for Jacob. But that is not what God is looking for in his life. And Jacob's not seeing that right here. Uh, uh, Verse 6, and you know 
that with all my might, I have served your father. Is that true? For those of you who have been here with us, is that true? How many of you would, let's take a vote on this. I want everybody, how many of you think Jacob has served Laban with all his might? Nobody. Wow. How many of you think this is a bold-faced lie? Uh, well, it's kind of a yes and no. Uh, there's always a sliver of truth in any good lie. Uh, Jacob did work really hard for Laban those first seven years to get Rachel. And then when Laban did the switcheroo, he worked really hard the next seven years for, for, uh, to get Rachel again, right? And Jacob has an incredible work ethic. He's very smart. He's a great herdsman. He's brilliant. So, you know, he has worked hard, but what is he forgetting? He's forgetting that for the last six years, who's he been working for? Himself. And he's been caring about his wealth way more than Laban, right? And he's been, and isn't it interesting how when there is a problem, when there is a conflict, we, we remember all the good we do, but we don't take an accurate look at what? who we really are, and the mistakes that we've made. We forget our bad behaviors, and we promote our good behaviors, and Laban is doing this. Uh, look what he says, verse 7. Your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. Ten times is probably figurative. He's just, you know, he's always changing my commission, my, and God did not allow him to hurt me. Can I tell you something? Jacob, you're a little too self-righteous here. And here's what we see. Jacob's saying, what's he saying? What's he telling his wives? None of this tension in the family is? Oh, you got it. None of this is my fault. Uh, I don't know how any of this happened. I just, it's just, your dad is so unreasonable. And here's what we see. Jacob is blind to his own character flaws. Wow. Why? Here's why. Because he's been ignoring the voice of God. If we ignore the voice of God, we will always be blind to our own character flaws. We need the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives so that we can grow, so that we can improve, so that we can mature, so that we can blossom, so that we can flourish. But if we ignore God's voice, we will be blind to our own character flaws. And we see it here with Jacob clearly. Well, your dad did this and I've worked so hard. And uh, Jacob, that's not the way it is, man. That is not the way it is. You are only fooling Mm. Mm. this book that you're holding in your hand is God's way of speaking to us God's will is revealed in God's word you may have said I just wish I knew what God's will for my life is well I can tell you it's not a mystery he has revealed it clearly this is God's will. But if we will not allow, our, him to allow our, our ears to hear his small, still voice, uh, we will be blind and we will not have any growth in our life. That's where Jacob is. Jesus said, I, I'm not going to leave you orphans when he was telling the disciples about the, his death and his resurrection. I'm not going to leave you orphans. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go to the cross so you can have your sins forgiven. But I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to comfort you. And that Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. That Holy Spirit is the same person as me. We are one and the same. Uh, he will take the things of my, me and give them to you. He's going to teach you my ways. and He's going to allow you to see life through, through my eyes. And, and this is his work in your life. He will convict you of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. He'll uh, show you all the things that I have taught you and he'll bring them to your remembrance. And, and he wants to speak to us, but we have to hear him. And if we stiff arm him, well, I know this. This is amazing. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on us. The Holy Spirit is gentle. 
And if we do not hear his voice, we will be, say it with me, on your screens, what? Blind to our own character flaws. And here we see it clearly with Jacob. Uh, Your father's deceived me. He's changed my wages, but God did not allow him to hurt me. We are a little too self-righteous, my friend. Uh, God has a big problem with you, you're going to find out in the next chapter. And God is going to wrestle you as well. Uh, Verse 8, thus uh, he said, thus Laban said, if the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Well, that's true. Here's the question. Jacob, how did you use all that wealth God gave you? Yes, God gave you all that wealth. How did you use it? When God gives you wealth, how does he want you to use it? Generously. Generously. Uh, Jacob is boasting, and at the same time, he's what? Indicting himself. It reminds me of Pilate at Jesus' trial. Pilate brings Jesus in before him, and he says, who are you? And Jesus reveals who he is, and Pilate's moved. And Pilate then brings him back in a second time, and, and Jesus is quiet this time. Pilate didn't listen the first time. And Jesus is quiet the second time. And Pilate says, why are you quiet? Do you not know that I have the power to release you? And I have the power to condemn you to death. And I always think, oh, poor Pilate. What did he just do? Condemned himself. Wow. Jacob just condemns himself. God has blessed me with this abundant wealth. How have you used it, Jacob? How has he used it? All for Jacob. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Verse 10. Jacob's telling the story. Now it happened at the time when the flocks conceived. So here he's talking about six years ago when all this happened. God gave him this dream. I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped on the flocks were streaked. Leaped on the flocks is is just another way of saying a mating in case you didn't catch that. Uh, They were speckled and gray spotted. Uh, In other words, Jacob's saying, all my wealth came from who? From God. I wonder if Jacob told that story of how that happened six years ago. Or I wonder if Jacob just said, I'm the amazing herdsman. Right? This was God's idea all along. Verse 11. The angel of, of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here am I. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar and were you made a vow to me, now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. This is the same thing that God told Jacob six years ago. And he's speaking it to him again. And when God speaks the same thing to us for six years in a row, what does that reveal? We haven't listened. I want you to know, if you haven't heard anything from God in a while, I would go back to the last thing you heard from God and see if you've obeyed it. Because God only gives one instruction in a time. And if you have kids, you know why that is. One instruction at a time. And Jacob hasn't listened. Six years later, same message. Remember the vow you made to me, Jacob? Get back to the promised land. That vow, by the way, was a crummy vow. God, if you bless me, and if you protect me, Jacob had nothing. And if you give me food and clothing, well, then I'll worship you as God. Okay, that's a horrible deal, but I'll take it. What has God done? Has he given him food and clothing? I would say so. And then about a million times more. And what has Jacob done? Has he kept his deal? Interesting. This isn't a commendation when God says this. He's saying, Jacob, that was a horrible deal. I'm God. You should worship worship me as God because I'm God. Not because I do these things. But nonetheless, I took your crummy deal and I have blessed you abundantly and I am still not God in your life. Wow. 
Wow. And Jacob's boasting in all this. That's the irony, right? Uh, verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? And what's the answer to that? Not really. Jacob has all the wealth, right? Uh, but what is his daughter saying? What are they actually saying? We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll, we'll leave because I don't think our dad's going to give us anything anyway. Uh, look at verse 15. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us. Uh, how happy are they about that switcheroo on the wedding night? They're not, man. Uh, he has sold us and completely consumed our money. What money? That dowry, those 14 years of work, he's saying he used it all for himself. And here we see something, man. These girls are bitter towards their dad. Why? Here's why. Because a dad's job is to nourish and protect and build his children. And Laban has been selfish. Instead of spending time with his daughters, He'd go out golfing. Instead of spending time with investing in his daughters, he would check his portfolio. It was all about building the business, building the business, doing what he wanted. And as a result, his daughters are, are, are bitter. And uh, uh, they resent him. It is so sad. And so look what they say, verse 16. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours anyway, and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, we will do it. Uh, here we see the, these, these girls just go, yeah, well, Jacob, we're with you. Uh, we, we don't like our dad anyway. Uh, just incredible. Um, here's what we see. Here's what we learn. Take note of this. Self-centeredness destroys relationships. It is brutal. Jacob and Laban have both been incredibly selfish. Jacob is a taker and Laban is a taker. And selfishness has ruined their relationships. Uh, Jacob and, and Laban's relationship ruined. Why? Because both of them are takers. And even worse than that, Laban's relationships with his daughters, what? Ruined. Because Laban has been so selfish. Not only has his selfishness ruined his relationship with his daughters, but it's actually ruined his daughters. Look at the character these girls have. It is ugly. They are self-serving and bitter towards their own father. The only thing that Rachel and Leah say about their dad is, he's not going to give us an inheritance anyway. We've already got all the stuff. We might as well just leave. Uh, that is so sad. Uh, everything we're taking from him anyway, it's ours anyway, which means they're doing what? Justifying their, right? They're, they've got this abundant wealth. It's really ours anyway. And here's what we see. Self-centeredness destroys relationships. Uh, how sad. Can you imagine a father and daughter relationship like this? A father and daughter relationship is one of the greatest treasures in the world. Uh, I can't even tell you how much I love being a dad. Uh, I got to work on my, uh, with my son Nathan on his car all day yesterday, you know, and it's so much fun to have that relationship. And here, look what Laban and his daughters are missing. Incredibly sad. Um, Self-centeredness destroys relationships, but what's the opposite of that? Selflessness builds beautiful relationships. May we be wise. Selflessness is just a mate. What if Laban had poured into his daughters? What if Laban, instead of being so consumed with his portfolio, actually took his daughter out to lunch? Actually spent time uh, pouring into them. Oh, how different things would have looked. Selflessness builds beautiful relationships. And if you want to have an amazing marriage, if you want to have uh, a beautiful uh, relationship with your kids, pay attention to this. I have a verse that really uh, reveals this very well. Proverbs 13 on your screen. So this is verse 7. Let me hear you read this in a thundering unified voice. 
There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, and yet has great riches. Oh my goodness. This says a lot, doesn't it? There's one who makes himself rich. Yeah, he's all about just his own stuff. And, this, you know, I'm going to be the best surfer. I'm going to be the best businessman. I'm going to have the most money. I'm going to build the biggest house. I'm going to build me, me, me. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go, blah, 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 blah. He makes himself rich, yet he has nothing. And there's one that makes himself poor, and yet he has great riches. I am going to boast for a moment. I want you to know I'm not bragging about myself. I am boasting in the Lord and the things that are true. I, there are times I sit at my dinner table, and I'm not a wealthy man by any means. Uh, financially speaking, not by a long shot. But there are times that I sit at the dinner table, and I feel like I am the wealthiest man in the world. My daughter got engaged last Sunday. And uh, I knew it was coming. Uh, I've always... Uh, my daughter and I just have an incredibly close relationship. And giving her away is like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, for the last 15 plus years, uh, every wedding I do, at that moment when I say, who gives this woman to marry this man, I would have her face flashing before my eyes. It's my favorite part of a wedding, by the way. The symbolism at that point is so incredibly beautiful. This umbrella of protection over her life. This umbrella of ministry and protection and nourishment and building over her life is now being handed off to a new man who has proven himself worthy to love her and to cherish her. And a father then says, I give you my most prized possession. I give you the apple of my eye. Take care of her. Love her. And so my daughter gets engaged, and, and uh, this young man, Luke, uh, just uh, great. I'm just so thankful. And I've been discipling him for the last couple of years, and I've just been so in awe of how God's moving in his life. And he asked me, and we had the talk, and we went out to breakfast together, and we had a long talk, and, and there had been a lot of work, groundwork way before that. And, and, and so he puts together this elaborate proposal, and it's all been planned out. And we're waiting in this restaurant in Del Mar that he rented out, a whole room. Uh, uh, and she has no idea any of this is coming. And they go for a walk. And he's got a drone flying over. And he's got photographers. Uh, I'm serious. And uh, there we all are in this restaurant, in this room, waiting. And they come in. And they come in, and like she's glowing, you know, she's just glowing. And they show the video from the drone already, and it's there, you know, and just like, well, just amazing. And uh, there at the at the dinner, uh, you know, he buys dinner for the entire group, and like he just pulled out all the stops, right? And there at the dinner, he he he. Um, I didn't plan on sharing any of this with you. <laughs> There at the dinner, he, you know, we're all celebrating everything, and he goes and he says, why don't you guys share the story of your engagement? And so his mom and dad go first. And as they're speaking, I think back about when I asked Lisa to marry me. And I want to crawl into a <laughs> hole. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I know the Lord, I, the Lord was just speaking to my heart. You see, I could have just blown it off like, oh, I was a knucklehead and we got together and I, you know, I asked for a phone. I could, have, I could have made a story. But the Lord was busting me. He was speaking to me. And I thought, here you are about worried if this man measures up to taking your daughter. Let me remind you of who you were 
and the work that you have done, I have done in your life. And so his parents are telling the story of their engagement, and I'm going, please go forever. Please just speak forever. <laughs> and I could have taken the easy road out and just, you know, used humor and stuff to get out of this embarrassing situation, but I just flat out said, I blew it. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for the man that I am. And my wife got in the car, and I took her home, and I apologized to her. And I said, I apologize. I didn't know how to love you well. And here's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, uh, there is one who makes himself rich and has nothing. There is one who uh, makes himself poor and yet has great riches. I look at all that God has done, and, and it's just like I can't even believe, right? And I'm not boasting on myself. If it sounds that way, please forgive me. It's not at all my intent. My intent is simply this. Walk in God's ways. Learn his ways. Listen to his voice. Let him speak you, speak to you. It'll bring such an abundance uh, uh, it is so incredible. May we learn how to be selfless. It is so rewarding. And dads, I want you to consider what is happening here with Laban and his daughters. You see, your role in your children's life is so incredibly powerful. Can I tell you something? You are a mountain. You have no idea how significant your role is. I marvel at how God does it. Somehow, in God's economy, he gives every man a kingdom. And you are the king of that kingdom. And he says, build your kingdom. And it is life's greatest joy to take what God gives you and actually walk in it with the wisdom of the king as you emulate the king as a small vassal king to the king. It is brilliant. And it is so rewarding. And men, you are a mountain. Build your daughters. Build your sons. It is the most powerful thing you can ever do. I want to I show you something. I want to reveal to you something. Why is, our, why is our world a mess? Well, look at something here. The United States has the highest rate of children living in single-parent homes of any nation in the world. How do you explain that? One of the most affluent nations in the world has the highest fatherless homes of all nations in the world. 23% of children living in the USA are fatherless. The world average of fatherless homes is 7%. The United States of America is three times the world average of fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from, say it, I want us to own this, 90% of all homeless children and runaway are from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 63% of all teen suicides are from fatherless homes. Fatherless children are 70% more likely to drop out of school. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes. Listen to this. The average school-age boy that has a father in home, the average school-age boy spends 30 minutes per week in one-on-one -on -one conversations with his dad. The same boy, on average, will spend 44 hours per week watching TV and surfing the internet and playing video games. 30 minutes, 44 hours, same week. Selfishness destroys relationships, but selflessness builds beautiful relationships. Be wise. Protect, fathers. Nourish your children, fathers. Lead them. Train them. Show them the love of Jesus Christ. Show them the character of Jesus Christ. Show them and model it for them. You are a vassal king in a powerful kingdom. Walk in your role.
Jacob and Laban, uh, man, missing the boat. Uh, Rachel and Leah both agree uh, with Jacob to leave their father Laban. Uh, they have very little respect for him. Uh, their character is bitter as a result. Uh, and let's go on in our story. Let's see if we can... Uh, I didn't plan on sharing all that with you, and now we've got some ground to cover. Uh, uh, I mean, the part about my daughter, I didn't plan on. Uh, verse 17, Then Jacob ro rose... And set his sons and wives on camels. Yeah, he had a few of those. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. It was like moving an entire city. Uh, he had so much stuff. Uh, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Again, just thousands of animals, hundreds of servants, all kinds of stuff, uh, just giant move. Verse 19, now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. Let's pause here for a second. If you are, were with us last week, you know where are his sheep? What sheep is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the sheep that Jacob had, for Jacob had all the, the pure sheep, right? The black sheep, the, the, the white sheep, the the ones that weren't striped and spotted, but all the striped and spotted sheep, where did they go? You'll remember that Laban took all those and gave them to who? His sons, and then put them where? A three-day journey away so that they couldn't mate with the other, other lambs that were going to be Jacob's wages, right? Thinking he's going to outsmart Jacob. So Laban now goes away to shear his own sheep. He's not talking about the sheep that Jacob had. That would be Jacob's job. He's talking about the sheep that he's given to his sons. And so he goes on a three-day journey. If he goes on a three-day journey, takes three days to get there, how long does it take to shear all the sheep? A few days. And then how long does it take to get back? So now you get an idea of how long Laban's gone. Okay? Uh, now let's look. Uh, Verse 19, Laban had gone to shear a sheep, and Rachel had, had stolen the household idols that were her father's, and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. In other words, he left out the back door, right? So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river and he headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Um, uh, look at what's happening here. Uh, think about the picture. Do you see it? Jacob, Rachel, his 12 kids, his tens of thousands of livestock, his hundreds and hundreds of servants, and all his possessions all leave Haran without ever saying what? Goodbye to Laban. And his extended family. How messed up is that? Jacob saw Laban go on a long trip. And he took advantage. And he leaves out the back door. Can I tell you something church? Don't be a back door person. Don't just say. Well I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Friend in your life. I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. Really? Don't be a back door person. Don't be like that. It is such poor leadership of Jacob. Uh, and can I tell you, it is totally passive-aggressive. This is passive-aggressive leadership on steroids. And passive-aggressive leadership is so dysfunctional. Really dysfunctional leadership. Why did Jacob leave out the back door? Why? Why? Is that you, Tom? I know voices, right? It's just, that was, that was Tom. I don't know where he's sitting, but I heard it. To avoid conflict. Uh, to avoid conflict, Jacob leaves out the back door. Do you know what passive aggr aggressive leadership is? It's a leadership that wants to always what? Avoid conflict. And it's so dysfunctional. Let me ask you, does passive aggressive leadership, does passive aggressive behavior, does it ever avoid conflict? Nope, it just stores it up for the future. So dysfunctional. It never works. 
What we see here with Jacob and Laban is this extreme result of passive aggressive leadership that's been going on for a long time. Uh, we're using that word. Let's divide, define some things. What is passive aggressive behavior? How do you recognize it? What is it? Well, passive aggressive behavior is concealed aggression. Concealed aggression. Uh, let's now define that word. We know what aggression is. What does concealed mean? Hidden. hidden. Passive aggressive behavior is hidden aggression. Interesting. Passive aggressive people attempt to communicate their distress, their anger, their frustration without openly acknowledging the real problems that are going on in the relationship. What is Jacob doing by leaving at night? He's saying, I don't like living with you. Why didn't we have that talk? Passive aggressive leadership is concealed aggression. And it is ugly. There are many forms of passive aggressive leadership or passive aggressive behavior. Avoidance is passive aggressive. If you've ever had a friend and then you just said, I'm not going to talk to them anymore, or I'm not going to take their call, or I'm not just not going to respond for, guess what you're being? Passive aggressive. Uh, avoidance. Uh, silent treatment. Ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah, that's nervous laughter. <laughs> yeah, heard of it. Uh, don't raise your hand. Uh, how many of you have been passive aggressive? Every one of you. How many of you have had passive-aggressive behavior happen to you? Every one of us. Uh, uh, this silent treatment, right? Uh, uh, crazy. Um, sarcasm. Guess what it is? Sarcasm. Passive-aggressive behavior. Uh, whenever you give a sarcastic comment, it always is followed with what? I was just... How'd you know? How did you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, you're not just kidding. You're actually saying something without trying to address it, what's really there. It is concealed aggression. It's not funny, by the way. It's not good humor. Uh, subtle digs. Passive aggressive behavior. Uh, negative comments about your boss about the person in authority over you, about a friend, uh, all passive-aggressive behavior, all forms of passive-aggressive behavior, and uh, it's, it's just not right. A passive-aggressive person uh, might casually drop a snarky comment. Uh, that's a form of passive-aggression. Um, uh, maybe uh, in, your, in your marriage, you've got one who's a saver and one who's a... Spender, that's generally the way you marry. Uh, and uh, if you're the saver, saver uh, you might say something. Oh, we go shopping again? <laughs> what is that? That's a passive-aggressive passive conversation, right? Oh, lots of nervous laughter on this one. Maybe someone has a little weight problem and you're, they're eating a brownie and you walk by and say, hey, did you see how much weight Jim lost? What is that? Passive aggressive behavior. Passive aggressive comments generally hurt someone and genu generally make someone feel better for a second but it never brings health. It only brings dysfunction. And it is incredibly damaging. Um, it'll always inflict more pain. And here's the problem. The longer passive-aggressive behaviors continue, the more communication deteriorates. And the more communication deteriorates, the harder and harder and harder it gets to discern what the real problems really are. And so how do you have a healthy relationship? Well, you don't. And it becomes more and more dysfunctional. I want you to know there is never a time 
when passive aggressive behavior is okay. And if you have it in your life, you need to repent of it today. Never a time when it's okay, especially if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. I was blown away. I was at a, a conference one time with a bunch of ministry leaders. And in this conference, we're talking about dealing with problems in the church, like how you deal with them and stuff. And I was amazed in this group I'm in, uh, there's these leaders talking and they're saying, well, when we have a problem with certain leaders, we wait for that ministry season to finish and then we don't bring them back into leadership again the next year. And my head went, (laughs) you've got to be kidding me. And this is the church of Jesus Christ. Are we kidding? Think about this for a moment. You're a leader. You show up every week, men's ministry, women's ministry, whatever, right? You're a leader, and you show up every week, but you're doing things not quite right. And instead of addressing that, we just wait for you to finish the season, and you've been faithful, and then next year, we resume, and my name's not on the leadership list. What happened? What does that do? That hurts bad. And that damages someone's walk with the Lord and really causes deep wounds. Why? For what reason? Why did we do that way? Because we wanted to avoid the conflict. And I want you to know that is diabolical. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the peacemakers. He did not say, Blessed are the passive-aggressive peacekeepers. A peacemaker confronts problems in order to bring health into the relationship. And Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Or in other words, they look just like God. When you have bad behavior in your life, guess who will confront you? The Holy Spirit. And that's what he wants us to do. And if we take the high, if we take the, the, the back door just because we don't want to, uh, we want to avoid the confrontation, that is really dysfunctional. It is a mess. Uh, I want to take a couple of moments to look at how to deal with passive aggressive behavior. And I want to give you four things of how to deal with passive aggressive behavior. Two things of what not to do, and two things of what? What to do, okay? Two things of what not to do with passive-aggressive behavior and two things of what, what? To do, okay? Let's look at the first one. Uh, What do you do if someone in your life is being passive-aggressive with you, right? You got that silent treatment or you got that snarky comment? Uh, What do you do with it? Number one, do not enable it. Do not enable it. When someone gives you that passive-aggressive behavior, don't enable it. If they give you silent treatment or hurtful digs or some emotional manipulation, uh, don't enable it. How, how might you enable it? Well, you start jumping through hoops. What's wrong? Are you okay? Uh, can I make you a nice dinner? Uh, and you start trying to just make them happy. You're an enabler. I'm sorry. You're enabling passive-aggressive behavior. Uh, Or if you're walking on pins and needles because someone's acting a certain way, guess what you're doing? You're enabling. uh, Don't do it. Uh, Or if you just ignore it and pretend everything's okay. Uh, They're giving you this whatever passive-aggressive behavior, and you just ignore it and act like nothing happened. Guess what you're doing? You're enabling it. Don't enable it. Uh, uh, Enabling bad behavior is being complicit in the bad behavior. Uh, Second thing that we want to not do uh, is do not mirror the passive-aggressive behavior. You're getting the silent treatment? All right. I'll give you passive-aggressive behavior. And so you go to bed that night. And instead of touching, you get the sheets and you pull them over your side. And that hand comes over and you're like... What are you doing? You're giving passive-aggressive behavior to the passive-aggressive behavior, and you've got radical dysfunction happening in your midst. Uh, 
This is, a, this is a problem, man, and it's common. And some people respond to passive-aggressive behavior with more passive-aggressive behavior, and this only undermines communication and indi- uh, initiates a, a vicious cycle of dysfunction. Don't do it. Don't do it. You say, well, okay, then what do you do? Uh, well, first of all, pay attention to those two. There's a reason I gave them first, because those are very common ways that we deal with passive-aggressive behavior. So what do you do? Well, counter passive-aggressive behavior with honest and open communication. Uh, Actually talk about it. Um, Addressing passive-aggressive behavior is the best thing you can do. And may I say, uh, try to be specific. In other words, try to name it. You cannot fix anything that you cannot name. When you, go in, when you take your car into the car dealership, you know what you do? You go to the service rider and he says, hey, can I help you? And you say, yes, uh, uh, where are your coffee and donuts? Okay, they're right over here. Okay, well now next problem, I've got a problem with my car. What's your problem with the car? Well, it goes clunk, 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 clunk when I turn right. Well, nobody can fix that, right? And so what do they do? They diagnose the problem and they say, oh, That's a U-joint or a tie rod on your front wheel, right front wheel. And they, they, they then give you a price to fix that problem. Do the same thing when you deal with passive aggressive uh, behavior. Uh, Openly talk about it in community, you know, get it out on the table. Hey, I'm, I know you're upset. um, But if you give me the silent treatment when you're angry, it means that I can't resolve this conflict with you. Can't we talk about this? This silent treatment is just not healthy. Or, um, how many of you have seen this? Uh, You have just trite conflict. Do you know what I mean by trite? Uh, What's wrong? Nothing. Everything's fine. Want a sandwich? And man, it is like, it is thicker than the peanut butter that you're trying to cut with a knife. It's like... Want a sandwich? No, I kind of like to know where my wife is, right? And you just, and so address it. Call it what it is. Say, hey, why are we acting this way? And can we talk about this instead? Sometimes, another, another way, and here's another good thing to do, uh, you can deal with passive-aggressive behavior by first addressing their emotions, responding to, to their emotions, so you're getting the silent treatment, I'll say. I'll just use that because that's probably the most, most common. You're getting the silent treatment, and you can say, hey, listen, obviously you're very upset. Yeah. Uh, I know you're upset about blank. I really do care. Can we talk about uh, blank, this problem, right? Can we talk about this? And uh, you talk about how they're feeling uh, that is making them act this way, and you deal with that. Then you get to the real issue of, okay, now you found out what the real issue was, and then you go, okay, now let's talk about the real issue. And then after you talk about the real issue, super important, you've dealt with their emotion, now what do you have to do? Your work's still not done. What do you have to do? You have to go back and now deal with where you started with a passive-aggressive behavior. Now, next time, if I do something stupid like this and I step on your toes and I hurt your feelings, will you please talk to me instead of giving me the silent treatment so that we don't have to go through this dance and we can get... But sometimes it helps to actually deal with the emotion of the problem first. So those are four ways and there's, I'm sure, more. Uh, you can share with me your tips by email. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, here's the irony. The irony is, is that people use passive-aggressive tactics because they hate what? Confrontation. Why does Jacob go out the back door when Laban's away? Because he doesn't want to confront who? Laban. But here's the problem. Passive-aggressive behavior eventually produces an atomic explosion. And we're going to see that next week with Laban. It produces an atomic explosion. And I want you to know something. I choose my words carefully on these points. Atomic explosion isn't just a superlative to show like that's the biggest explosion we know on earth. No, I'm actually trying to teach something in this. Uh, What is an atom bomb? Well, an atom bomb is 
these small, tiny, little atoms that split and cause a chain reaction and cause a massive explosion. And if you use passive-aggressive behavior, if you have a passive-aggressive communication style, what you are doing is taking all the atomic particles of all of your problems and storing them up for them to have a chain reaction and keep building until they go and you will get all those atomic particles in your face in a massive explosion. And the conflict you are trying to avoid will become a billion times bigger than it ever should have been because you didn't communicate properly in the beginning. Uh, does that make sense? And so next week, uh, uh, what time am I supposed to stop? I'm, uh, I'm already out of time. I'm way behind time. Uh, next week... <laughs> Next week, we'll jump into uh, this atomic explosion between Jacob and Laban. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.